Welcome to the Rocky Mountain Christian Church Podcast. Rocky is a community of believers who want to know Jesus and love like Him. Let's take a listen to this week's message. Man, I think that's something we need to remember. Man, no matter what's going on in life, even when we can't see Him working, Man, that is who he is, and he doesn't stop working. It's so good to see some of you on site today at both our Niwak campus and our Frederick campus. You guys can take a seat, and it's great to see all of you online, too. It's been five months, man. Can you believe it? It's been five months that we've been in this season where we have not been able to meet in person, but I'm telling you, just the fist bumps and the elbows and the smiles through the mask, all of that, um, have just been great today. It's good to see all of you are here, and can't wait to see all the people at the Frederick campus, and it's just good to be able to know that no matter where you're gathering, that our whole Rocky family is together and we're able to be together across three campuses, online or on site, and God's still doing some incredible things. I love seeing the baptisms. We got some more planned. If you're thinking about that decision, man, jump in with us. God's still doing some good stuff. And let's let him hear it uh, from us. No matter where you're watching from, we're excited for sure. Hey, here's what I realized. If you're watching online, there are a lot of people who have joined us during the season of COVID um, that are new to our church. Maybe you've not even been here previously to this situation. And you're saying, how do I connect? One of the things that I would encourage you to do so easy that will help you connect with God deeper in your relationship with him and also connect with other people and friendships, even if you're online, is to text the number on your screen. New to Rocky at that number will jump you into our pathway. So if you're here today and it's your first time being on site, same thing, do that. And that's gonna help you connect with our pathway that'll help you navigate this place and relationships here um, at Rocky. I also wanna say this, it's been a really weird time um, just for me as a pastor, just kind of watching and seeing across our campuses and, and not being able to be in person and just wondering how that would go. And I tell you, man, you guys, the majority have been so, so encouraging and so helpful. And I also want to say this, you've been so generous. And I just want to thank you because you've been able to help us help other people during a difficult time for them. And I just want to say you're making a huge difference. So keep up the generosity. You're helping others. And if you want to be able to jump in and invest, if Rocky's investing in you and helping, I would encourage you to text the number on your screen, set up an online account to be able to help others because you're being helped in this moment too. All right, let's jump in. If you've got your Bibles or your phones, I want you to get to the book of Philippians. And so we're starting a new four-week series today that I think is going to be transformational. It's been transformational for me as I've studied through and taken some of the resources that we have and also another church called Life Church that's helping us with this. Super helpful stuff. And here's the interesting thing about Philippians. If you don't know the context of the book of Philippians, the words will not come alive off the page. There'll be some great teachings, some great things, but if you actually understand the context and where this is written from, all of a sudden the book comes alive. And so let me do this for you. Let me take a few minutes and just help you understand the book of Philippians. So it's in the New Testament. It's written by a guy named Paul. Many of us know who Paul was, greatest missionary of all time. Paul wrote 13 books in the New Testament, all letters to different churches, and this is one of them. And so he writes to the church that he started in Philippi about 20 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. So it's about AD 52. And so he starts his church and he launches the church um, in AD 52. And then Paul does what he normally does. He stays. He trains church leaders. He helps the people in the area be ready to lead the church. And then he says, God's called me to a bigger mission. And so no matter what kind of relationships he's built there, he heads off to another area to start another church. Leaves pastors and leaders and people he's trained to lead the church. And so Paul has left. 
The time at which he writes the book of Philippians or the letter of Philippians is AD 62. So it's 10 years later. And this time Paul's going, undergoing some difficult times and the relationship he has with the Philippian church, the church in Philippi is so strong. And we're not just talking friendship, we are talking family. Like nothing separates this relationship. They are so close. And so they know what's going on with Paul. And so what they do is they say, he's having some hard times and struggles. And so they take up a love offering. So take up this love offering and they send it to where Paul is and Paul receives it. And his first inclination is to say, no, no, no. Hey, give that to the poor. I don't need that. And Paul says this all throughout the New Testament. People will try to help him financially. He says, nope, that money needs to go to the poor. I'm gonna work and support myself so I'm not a burden to the church. So Paul was a tent maker. If you know the history, he was a tent maker. He supported himself while he would plant churches. But in this situation, the relationship was so strong the connection was so great and Paul's circumstances were so difficult that he received the offering with great thanks. I mean, he was overwhelmed. And so what happens is what the book of Philippians or the letter of Philippians is, it's actually a thank you note that Paul writes to the church. It's four chapters of a whole bunch of thanks and a whole bunch of encouragement and a whole bunch of emotion of telling what he believes and thinks about this church with some instruction sprinkled in. Now, here's the thing about Philippians. If you've read the letter before, and if you study through it, there is one topic that rises to the top. And one topic that rises to the top above all others, Paul mentions it 19 different times in the book. And it's the word joy. It's either the word joy or the idea of rejoice. I mean, you remember the famous verse in Philippians chapter four that says, rejoice in the Lord always, right? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Now, if you don't understand the context, not all the stuff we talked about, but one thing I'm gonna give you in a minute, if you don't understand the context of where Paul's writing from, you don't get how deeply impactful that those words are. So perspective, let me ask you this before we get there. Have you ever had a situation where you got some new information about a person or a situation that actually totally changed your perspective? I'll give you an example. It was a couple months back and some friends of ours and of our family were talking about this guy and this family and one of their kids and just what an awesome kid he was. And they're just like, man, this guy is fantastic. So outgoing, great athlete, good looking kid, so smart, just an awesome guy. And we had a chance, we were going to the same thing with this other family and we were gonna get to meet this family. And I ran into this kid. And so I, I kind of have this expectation that I think this kid's gonna be, you know, pretty outgoing pretty good athlete, pretty fun, pretty cool guy. He's going to be just kind of a fun kid that me and my family and our family would like to hang out with. So you raise your expectation level, right? You kind of have this thing worked up in your mind of here's how this is going to go. Well, I walked into this gymnasium, we're hanging out, and this kid is as quiet as, not shy, but just kind of ambivalent, just kind of, you know, just walking around. And I kind of was like, man, what's the big deal? And so I tried talking to him a couple times and he didn't really respond back to me. He was nice and cordial, but there was just nothing extraordinary about this conversation where I caught what other people were talking about. So I go home and I'm, I'm with my family. I was like, man, I met that guy. And I was like, what's the big deal? And my daughter looks at me and she goes, dad, he had back surgery a week ago. And I'm like, good jerk all over my forehead, right? I mean, it's just written right there because, you know, he was acting like this and he was not feeling it. All of a sudden what happened is that piece of information actually did what? Changed my heart about the kid and about the situation. I was like, wow, man, I bet he was really hurting. I bet he's going through a difficult time. He's got a recovery that's going to last this long and it totally changes your perspective in your mind. 
The book of Philippians, here's the deal. Paul writes, when you, when you see him write 19 different times, the idea of rejoice in the Lord always. Man, be content in every circumstance. Have joy in all things. If you don't understand the perspective, it doesn't come alive. And here's what the actual facts are of the situation where Paul's writing. Do you understand that Paul was writing from quarantine? And you're sitting there going, well, quarantine, all right. And I got my TV and I got my cable and I got this and that. And, you know, I hate quarantine, but I still got all of this. Now, what Paul was writing from was a Roman prison chained to two Roman soldiers, 24 hours a day, four different shifts of two guys each, 24 hours. Paul is writing this to a Philippian church as he is in basically death row, awaiting his trial, which will ultimately lead to his execution. And he writes and says, guys, no matter what's going on, no matter what COVID's doing, no matter what school's doing right now, and you can't send your kids back, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what's going on relationally, health-wise, all of that, he's saying rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Changes perspective, does it not? When you realize that a guy that was on death row is writing and saying, hey, here's what's going on in my life, but you can take courage and you can have joy in all things. Philippians chapter one, starting at verse two, here's what Paul writes. It says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Stop right there. Man, in this moment of August 16th and being able to walk back in the doors, there's so many of you that this is the first time I've seen you in five months. And I get what Paul's saying. Paul's writing from a Roman prison cell, hasn't seen his friends, hasn't seen his community, hasn't seen his connection. He says, man, I thank my God every time I remember you. Can't see you in person, but you need to know that we are partnered together in something bigger. I love you. I love the friendship. And I tell you, just as your pastor sitting here and our staff and our elders who haven't been able to see you, man, we feel the feeling right there. And even though there's not the crowd in these auditoriums today, even though there's a much bigger crowd online, Man, it is good to see people and to be able to connect and be able to say, man, we are in this together. And Paul goes from, from the emotion of talking about these people he loves to the encouragement. He says in verse six, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you since I have you in my heart for whether, and Paul talks about his situation right now. He says, whether I am in chains, which I am, or defending and confirming the gospel, which I would like to be, all of you share in God's grace with me. You see, Paul is writing to this church and he's saying, man, I know how much you care about me. I know how much you're thinking about my situation and probably how worried you are. What do we do? How do we take care of this? How do we get Paul out of prison? Who can we send to try to help? Can we buy him out? All these different things. And Paul says, understand this situation from my perspective. You see death row. I see an opportunity. And so Paul begins to go through his perspective and he says, yes, I'm in chains. And if there was anything I could change, it would be to take these chains off. It would be to exchange my prison for a pulpit. You see, all throughout the book of Acts, which is the history of the church, you see every letter that Paul writes to a different church in Philippi or Galatia or, or Ephesus or these different areas, 
you can find that tied back to seeing that church start in the history book Acts in the New Testament. And Paul kind of goes back and he's looking at that and he said, man, you, you see this situation. You see this situation as I'm on death row, but what I see is an actual opportunity where my desire, my dream has been to go to Rome. Like Paul planned this. Paul planned to go to the top. So what he wanted to do is he wanted to go not to the Jewish leadership. What he wanted to do was go to Rome, to the Roman Empire, go all the way to the top to Caesar to present the gospel and say, hey, now we need to get to it. This is what is true. Now you understand the gospel. Now let's spread this to the world. That was, Paul was going big time. It wasn't just church, starting churches in Philippi and in Ephesus and other. Paul was going to go to the top. And so what he was saying to the church is, you feel like this situation I'm in is the end for me. I see it as an opportunity to change things. Now, if you step back into Paul's situation, if you did ask Paul, what would you change? He would say, I'm in Rome now. I would take off these shackles and I would head out and I'd start preaching. That's what Paul would change. Now, if we just stop right there for a moment and we just ask every person in the room and every person online, man, you have, we all have a what that we would change, right? I mean, I look around this room and I know some stories of people in this room. I think about the Frederick room. I know some stories there. I've met some people online that haven't even been here that we've talked about their stories. And I know you all have some what's out there that are really significant, that are really difficult. And what's your what? If you could change something in your life right now, what would it be? And some of you step back and say, it is a diagnosis. Even in the midst of COVID, it's not COVID, but it's something much bigger than that. Some of you, during this season, you lost someone. And I remember early on, there were some families that lost people who weren't even able to gather and to remember that person because of all the limitations that we have. Some of you, it's finances. Some of you, it's a dead-end relationship. Some of you, it's a dead-end job. Every single one of us have a what that we'd like to change, Right? And if you're in that situation right now, here's what I would encourage you. I want to give you three things really fast, three things that I want you to write down that I think could be an encouragement to you in this time frame. Here are three thoughts. First one is this, we all have a what, and sometimes we don't understand the why. Man, you've been there and I've been there before. We all have a what, and you look at God and you say, God, we don't ask what, we, we look at God and we're, usually the question is why, Right? You look at God and you're saying, hey, God, why are you allowing this? Man, I can go back to March 15th when everything shut down, right? And we had to close church down and we're going, God, why are you allowing this? Why are you allowing this to happen? Your church to be shut down and we're having to meet. We all have a what. And sometimes we don't understand the why. And we ask God, why are you allowing this to happen? And I want you to write this down. The second thing that I think is really encouraging, that God always has a why in the what. And usually it's hindsight that shows us that. We get a year down the road or two years down the road and we look back at that situation and we actually find out that we actually are better because of what God taught us. But in the middle of the situation, we're running around, we're going, God, why? And what we have to trust when we don't know the why is that God does have something in it for us. God always has a why behind the what. And I think we need to remember that we don't have to understand everything to be able to trust God. Proverbs chapter three, verse five and six says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him 
and he will make your path straight. Now we all have a what, we don't understand the why. God always has a why within the what. And the third thing to write down is simply this, you don't have to understand the why to trust God in the what. You don't have to understand it. And sometimes we spend our wheels on why, why, why all the time. We don't have to understand the why to actually be able to trust God in the what. And I think that's easier said than done. I think you want to step back into your situation. What is the what for you? And you're saying, Sean, seriously, in the middle of that thing, I don't know how I could trust in what he was doing. Because I didn't understand the why. You don't actually have to understand the why to trust that God has something for us. And so two questions. It's easier said than done. But two questions that I think will help. And the first question we want to ask is the one we've been talking about is why, right? We all want to ask God why, but we spin our wheels on that one and we miss the opportunities that God has for us. So that's not the question we should ask. The question we should ask, the first question should be this, is what now? I want everybody, just right here on three, in the room, at Frederick, Frederick, online, everybody right now on three, I want you to say that, that question. One, two, three. What now? Man, that is the best question that we could ask. Not why, because God doesn't always reveal the why. And he has his reasons and we don't understand the why of his reasons. But he does say, there is a what that I have for you. And so in the moments where we don't understand, God's just simply saying to us, hey, you don't have to. But what I do want you to do is submit yourself to me, to trust me in all things and say, God, I don't know why, but I'll believe in the what. So now what? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to learn? What do you want me to experience in this so I can actually help someone else who experiences this later? God, what now? And I say to you, what is your what now? We all know what our what is, like what we want to change. But what's your what now? What is it that God wants to do in you? What is it God that wants to teach you? What is it God wants to teach you so that you might be able to teach someone else? You see the idea in in Philippians chapter one, verse 12, it says, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, again, what's happened to you? Is it a relationship? Is it a diagnosis? Is it a lost job? Is it you woke up in a financial hole? Is it, what is it? Paul says, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Did you catch that? Paul's sitting there in a jail cell, writing. He's probably talking to the Roman soldier here. You're wondering who the prisoner is actually, right? He's writing and he's talking to the Roman soldiers, telling them all the stuff he's writing about this Philippian church and all the things he's saying to them. He's saying, what you think is putting me in extreme difficulty has actually served to advance what's important. The word advance there is so important. The Greek language there, use the idea advance, it's a military term, and it means to advance aggressively. And actually, the literal term, catch this, the literal term is actually when, a, when an army sends out a group of troops, smaller groups, that will go out and clear the battlefield. Whether that's a brush and trees and thorns and whatever, things in the way, go out and clear the battlefield, or it's to go out and do some work and clear out some of the people on the battlefield so the army can come in and win the battle. And man, that fits so well. Because what you don't understand in this passage is that Paul is there talking to some of the up and coming leaders in the Roman military. He's got a captive audience that he's preaching to constantly. 
These guys are going to leave Paul and they're going to go into higher places. In, and you know, you go a couple centuries later and what does the emperor of Rome do? He legalizes Christianity, which at this time they're torturing and killing and crucifying Christians all over the place. A couple centuries later, there's a whole lot of history with that. They legalized Christianity as the national religion of the empire, which starts with a guy who's sitting in a prison cell who has a perspective shift to say, God, now what? And I just wonder sometimes, I wonder sometimes in my life where I'm sitting back and saying, God, why? The God's sitting up there saying, hey, I got why taken care of. How about you ask what now? Because I've got people waiting on you. I've got people waiting on learning from your experience. I've got people waiting on learning from what you're going through right now. And I know it's difficult, but if you will just trust me, I got a what now that's gonna change a whole lot of things for you and a whole lot of things for other people. And if you don't experience that in this life, I've got eternity for you that you cannot even imagine. See, Paul steps back to the Philippian church and he says, man, what you thought was bad, God actually used to advance the gospel. And I think there are times where we say, man, God, this is bad. This is big. This is terrible. Mark Batterson writes this. He says, more hurt is done to God's people and God's kingdom because we reduce God to the size of our biggest problems. We reduce God to the size of our biggest problems. And man, I have been there. I think we've all been there. And what God is simply saying is, man, I'm bigger than your biggest problems. I'm so much bigger than I could take those obstacles. Paul's saying to the Philippian church, he's saying, man, God has taken this obstacle and he's turned it into an opportunity. God has taken this prison and it's turned it into a pulpit. He's taken what you think is misery for me and has created ministry for me. And it was all because of a perspective shift to say, God is bigger than my biggest problem. So all I've got to ask right now is say, what now? And then take a step. That when God teaches through scripture, when God encourages me through, and, and believe me, I understand some of you going through such difficult things, you say, but Sean, I don't, I don't think you get it. Hey, believe me, whether it's been in my life or in other people's life, I get it. I've seen people go through some of the most difficult of circumstances you could ever imagine and see God turn those around into ways and ministries and opportunities like you wouldn't believe. So we ask, what now? And sometimes God takes that difficulty and he creates a ministry out of it. And back in January 2nd, my um, wife called me. Some of you have heard this story and I've talked a little bit openly about it over the last couple months. But uh, January 2nd, I was sitting in my office with our lead team and we're having a conversation. And I said, guys, I gotta take this phone call. And I answer the phone call and my wife had had a mammogram um, the week before. So she got the results. They said, hey, you know, there are some suspect things, but hey, don't come back till late January. It's no big deal. Uh, we think everything's all right. Somebody else looked at the mammogram results and called her up on Thursday morning, January 2nd at about 8.45 and said, Jen, you need to come in within the next two hours. We need to have a conversation because we found some things and, and we, it's cancer. And so you need to come in right now and we need to get going on more tests and figuring this out. My wife calls me and I answer the phone, right? And I'm like, okay, I thought they said come back late. She's like, I know, I don't know what's going on, um, but I gotta go in right now. Well, she goes in 
and again, has the conversation, and it felt like it went from, hey, everything's all right, to like DEFCON 3 for us. Now, some of you have been through much worse than what you've heard our story is, um, but it was our story. And when you hear the word cancer about your wife, who's young, who's, who's, who, who's, who exercises, who eats right, who does all those things, you're like, God, why? And all of a sudden, the question in the moment for me, and especially for my wife, is like, why? And she goes in and she sits down with the doctor and said, you're gonna, here's, she went through three more, um, three more tests and all of a sudden they're like, you gotta come back next week and we're gonna get a, and the tests weren't even back yet. And we're gonna get a regimen going on treatment and here's what we're gonna do. We came back the following week and luckily they said to my wife, they said, hey, this kind of cancer is, is a very slow growing cancer. Um, it's, it's non-aggressive. Some of you have been through much, much worse, but it was crazy for us in the moment. In the moment, there was a lot of why, but in that moment where they said, here's what we're gonna do, I saw a perspective shift happen in my wife. And she jumps in and she starts, the question goes from why to okay, what now? What do we do now? And you know what was really interesting about that time frame for us is the perspective shift in what now also gave way to a different question. And there's a different question later in the passage where Paul actually writes and, and he says to the Philippian church, he writes in to them and he talks about um, the idea of a difficulty that was happening in their church. There's kind of some things Paul could have been really angry about. And in verse 18, what he says, he says, but what does it matter? The important thing is in every way that whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of that, I rejoice. You see, there were some people that were preaching maybe out of a different motive, false motives, he says, or maybe true. And there was a place where Paul could have questioned, he could have gotten really angry about this group of people that were tearing some things down in the church. But he steps back and he says this. He says, but what does it matter? Whether their motives are right, they're preaching the gospel. And the interesting thing about that part of the passage, the Greek phrase there is, is so what? It's the, it's, it's the actual Greek words are tiskar plain. But the idea of it is actually, so what? Does this really matter in the scope of eternity? And you go back to that story with my wife and cancer. There was a moment where she went to, okay, what now? And she started leaning in. And I can't tell you how many people she's been able to help, to been able to encourage, to been able to share her journey with, been able to say, hey, look, we had surgery. God did this. Right now I'm cancer free. But here's all the things that I'm doing to make sure it stays that way. She's been a help and encouragement to so many because she didn't ask why. She shifted her why to what now. But here's what it did for me. If you know our story, man, I've been sharing over the last year and a half with some of the struggles we've had just relationally. We didn't have a bad marriage, but we didn't have the marriage we were looking for. So over the last year and a half, we've gone through about a year's worth of counseling. There was a lot of things, and there was some time, I'll be honest, man, there were some counseling appointments that were rough, they were hard, we're working through difficulties, and I'll be honest, there were some things that I did not want to let go of. But when I heard the words cancer, I said, so what? Not so what to cancer. I said, what now to cancer? I said, so what to all the defensiveness and all the difficulty and all the problems and all the trying to figure out, well, how do I be in control of this and how do I do that? And it became, so what? Because if you really ask yourself a question, right? If you really step back and you ask yourself, what is this really gonna matter? 
10 years from now? What is it gonna matter 20 years from now? What is this gonna matter maybe some of you next month? What's it gonna matter a year from now? To me, all the issues over here relationally, it was like, hey, what's really gonna matter is that I have my wife in 10 years. And I think what Paul's saying is what really matters is people. And what really matters is relationships. And what really matters is eternity. In this moment where we sit in COVID and we're like, man, all these things have changed. We gotta wear masks, so what? We got to watch church, church online. Man, that frustrates me too, but so what? In the big scope of things, is that going to matter in a year from now or two years from now? Or, and actually what it's done, Paul says, is what you see as difficulty has actually advanced the gospel. And now we've gone from two campuses to three campuses, which was a dream for us. And we thought it was going to be a physical campus, which was going to cost all kinds of money and have to raise money and start this new campus. And God said, well, hey, I'll do that for you on March 15th. And in three days, campus is up online. And on Easter, when I looked and said, man, what are we going to do? God, why are you doing this? Easter ain't going to happen. Easter happened. We had almost 10,000 people tune in online on Easter. Yeah, pretty amazing. And then you see people who are getting baptized almost every single weekend. Some of them who have never stepped foot inside of this campus or the Frederick campus, but they've been on the online campus. You see, you never know what God's going to do. And I look at our situation right now, and I look at my wife, and yes, she is cancer-free, and everything's great there, and I'm glad to say that. But I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but what I can say is, God, what now? I can't say, what now? And I can also look at all the other craziness out there in life and say, so what? What is it that really, really matters? And what Paul comes down to is that kind of attitude and perspective shift allows him to write these words at the end of chapter one that you could only write if you were about now what and so what. Here's what he says. Verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Paul says, I'm in prison, awaiting execution. So what? There's something much bigger going on here. And if they kill me, I'm in heaven. I'm with God. If they don't, I've got another Roman soldier walking in the door in a couple of hours that I'm going to get to share with. Right? Who's the prisoner here? Him or me? And I think for us, man, what's, what's the what in your life? Man, what's the so what that you need to say? to bring life back into perspective, to say, this is what's important. This is what I'm gonna focus on. And I don't need to know the why. I just need to know what God wants me to do and to get after that. And this season right now, the church might be able to be a bigger light than it's ever been before because people need that perspective. So ask yourself, now what, God? I don't need to know the why. I just need to know what, and I'm ready. And then when you get frustrated, so what? Man, so what on what life brings? Because I have a God that's bigger and he is bigger than my problems. Man, why don't we just bow together and let's pray. Father, we know, I just know from experience that 
There's a lot of people out there that are struggling with difficulty. And I share a little bit about our story today. And I know sometimes probably that story pales in comparison to some other people's story. But it's not pale in comparison. Their story does not pale in comparison to the size of their God. So God, help us to remember that the test we experience today may be the testimony that we tell tomorrow. The misery we experience right now might be the ministry that you want us to have, to use, to share, to love, to to encourage other people. Father, what the prison, what we feel chained to right now might actually have purpose and we might come out better on the other side if we'll ask, now what? So Father, help us to focus in. Help us to be able to say, for me to live is Christ and die is gain. And Father, I pray that that light, that message, that encouragement will reach many, many people that we're connected with. My God, we just love you. It's so good to be back together. And Father, I pray as we go through this series that we'll stay connected, that we will allow this message to just reach deep into our hearts and to change us. God, keep your church strong so we can keep your message flowing out into our communities. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.